Talk about life. Hello, hello. Welcome to Creatively Relating. I'm Viana Novis, and today's episode is a fun little get to know me through your questions. I asked the community on Instagram to share questions, and y'all asked beautiful questions. And then I invited my pod mate, Darren Hope, who runs an incredible skincare company, y'all. Look, yes, Darren is one of my dearest friends, and also her products were my favorite before we were friends. So my recommendation here is unbiased. Her line is fucking incredible. Highly recommend it. Earth Tonics. You can find her on Instagram at Earth Tonics. Oh, delicious. The entire line, the whole line, the honey bamboo scrub and the mushroom milk together. Mm. I'm kissing my fingers. So good. Okay, I'm going off on a tangent here. I invited my podmate to come interview me because I thought it would be more fun that way. And guess what? It was. And we had coffee and we were very giggly in the beginning. You'll hear it. It's real cute. So this episode is a fun little get to know me. We'll probably do more of these on the show if you like it, which let me know. Give a call in to the Creatively Relating phone line and let me know if you like episodes like this we can do more of them i will uh do them as y'all ask for it um and ask me anything style episode if you want to call in you can call in anytime leave your thoughts ask a question the number is one eight three three two relate again that's one eight three three two relate Call in to relate. <laughs> if you need the numbers for that, it's 1-833-273-5283. Again, 1-833-273-5283. Let me know what you think. And another way to let me know what you think is by subscribing, leaving a review, sharing a rating, share on Instagram. All of those things are great ways to show your support for the show that will help to get it out in the world and see what can possibly grow in the soil here. Another way to support the show is with that cold hard cash, baby, because this show is listener supported. That means you help make it possible for me to create this content. So if you like it, you can keep helping it get put into the world. Patreon.com slash Novis. We get lots of extra goodies there. We meditate together. We meet once a month for a live session, do a little Q&A and meditation. I share creativity exercises, behind the scenes views on projects I'm working on, full photo sets from the monthly photo shoots I do with my friend and co-creator Jess Purple. You get lots of extra goodies there. And it is a brilliant community of people. Wow. The folks who show up blow me away. So interesting, so fascinating, so intelligent, creative, inspiring people. 
really, really cool community to be involved with. So if you're looking for a way to expand your creative expression, you want to stoke the embers of your own creativity, and you want to help support bringing this content into the world, come join me on Patreon. There is a $3 entry level, less than a cup of coffee. You could support this show every month. That's a thing. Is that still a thing? If you'd buy me a cup of coffee, you can do that on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Novis. That's where you'll also find all of the free show notes for Creatively Relating. All of that stuff is out to the public for the show. So even if you are not signed up and financially supporting the show, you can go to Patreon.com slash Novis and get all of the show notes for this show. All right, let's dive into this episode. I hope y'all enjoy it. I look forward to hearing what you think and uh, enjoy the giggles. Welcome to the show. You can breathe now. <laughs> hi hi Viana. thanks for being here darren yeah welcome to your podcast <laughs> thank you <laughs> this is such a fun way to start the show i know i'm excited that you uh wanted me to do this i feel like in in our potting together <laughs> what i've noticed is i learn so much from you in your process <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's amazing. I always tell Viana that they're like the easiest friend to, um, to like, you know, work their stuff out with because all I have to do is ask like how they're feeling about something and then they just work out all their own <laughs> shit themselves and I just sit there witnessing it and I'm like, cool and then you're always like thank you so much and I'm like I literally did nothing that's amazing so well I'm so grateful you're here one because I've been sitting in this room recording episodes by myself and that's an experience yeah maybe a little lonely at times (laughs) I literally was in here last night recording a like two-hour episode and there was a point where I was like all right well I wish I could hear what you guys were thinking. Oh my gosh, <laughs> like, I can't, that is just something I can't even fathom. Like, it's it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. It's Yeah, that's a specific skill that <laughs> I just like, I honestly can't relate to at all. Uh, I love how giggly we are right now. Too. I know, I know, I'm excited. And I feel like this is also our, our coffee. We both had coffee today. Oh man, oh, I was like, I, I don't need any coffee. It just makes me tweak out. And then I was like, I heard you say, I'm going to make myself a little something. And I was like, oh, make me something. It was good. And like the little coffee demon came out. I was like, Give me some coffee demon. <laughs> Feed me. Oh. <laughs> I love that. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. There's well, some good questions here. Yeah. So these questions came from Instagram, from the community on Instagram. Okay. And, uh, it, I was really excited to hear some of these questions. I didn't think about them too much. I just like grabbed them and collected them um, so that we had them. But I, I didn't think too much about them. But they're, they're good questions. They're good questions. So you're coming at this pretty fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I really tried not to think about them. Um, I wanted whatever comes out to be what comes out. And I really like that. Like that's the, you know, the, the vision here is just for this to be conversational, the show. Yeah. 
which means it's as if we're sitting in a room together. I want it to be real, yeah. you know, all the ums and the likes and the and the silences of thought and the random stories that might come out. Uh, so I just wanted it to be as pure as possible. Yeah, I also feel like there's a certain permission in that for you to just be wherever you are in your own process and nothing's like, you know, you're you're able to change from this point too. you know, like whatever you say today may not be true six months from now or a year from now. I mean, hopefully I think, you know, I've, I've been chilling with you for a while and I feel like you're coming to some pretty (sighs) amazing realizations and uh, lessons in your life right now, which is really cool to witness. But, um, but yeah, I think we're all changing pretty quantumly at the moment yes quantum is the word quantum quantum quarantine darren and i are gonna do an offshoot private podcast called quantum quarantine where we talk about all the far out ideas we have about the universe aliens aliens and being one and being multi-dimensional beings that viana really needs to come out of the closet on this stuff the multi-dimensional closet right I'm just not ready. No, I th- I'm getting more ready. I'm dropping dropping little hints here and there. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, it's more of that part of you really comes out in your artwork, like your yeah. visual art and not as much in your, you know, quote, work. Yeah, and my like teach guidance. yourself. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it, yeah, it's a jump, I think, you know. Yeah. Some people can go there. Some people want to go there. Some people don't give a fuck about going there. And I still want to talk to them. I still want to relate to them. Yeah. And yeah. and I and I think that also that's a thing that's like, I don't really care if we if we agree, right. you know, and I don't want that to be a, a deterrence for people to access something that might be really fruitful for them otherwise. Totally. So I just hold that, you know, with some Yeah. Reserve. It's in the realm of imagination. It is. It is. It's where I play. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of parts of myself that I feel excited to bring to the show, which and I mean, you being here is a part of it, because I feel like this is something we've talked about a a fair amount during quarantine, too, is just uh, my sense of humor doesn't really come out on line. Like a lot of people expect me to be very serious when they (laughs) meet me. That's really fun. It is. Right. And it's just like, wow, that's not at all who I am. It's just kind of the medium of that platform being written word and a place where I'm often sharing poetic musings on life and visual work that I, you know, photography work or, or, um, there's been a little bit of visual of my visual work, but not so much. Right. It's been more written word and that's a place where I am a little bit more serious is in the written word realm of my expression. Yeah. But that that's not that's just this piece of me and it's fun to get to be like, "Hey, actually I'm very goofy and pretty awkward and quite shy." <laughs> shy? You know, it's so funny cuz like people don't see it, but but it's it's the inner Okay, it's I think um I think there's probably only one person who could really get a finger on this you know who's that (laughs) my ex okay right because we were together for 10 years and so like there's like an there's like this deep intimate knowing of how actually like uncomfortable I am around new people and how 
awkward I get yeah. when I'm with new people. Yeah. Well, and you I'm and I were like, both talking about, we both have the t- this tendency where we don't necessarily shut down and we're, we're not necessarily wallflowers. We actually like overcompensate yes. for our shyness. Yes, and we're exactly. like very overwhelming to people like <laughs> enthusiastic and just like a little off-putting. Yeah. But in reality, I'm like so quiet and like actually quite reserved and like like to really open me up takes a long time but people don't that's not so forward facing like people think I'm really like out in the world and like Mm. well I I do think that you're willing to share a lot of intimate details about your experience yeah just from the place of resolve or (laughs) I'm I'm learning that lesson (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. We'll circle back to that, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Oh, the medicine is better. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's good for people to hear, though. And again, it's sort of like circling back to what I was saying in the beginning is you, you don't, you know, we're always all, we're always changing. And it's so unfair to hold ourselves to like, I think the one thing that putting your thoughts in written word and sharing it is, you know, it's, it's next level vulnerable because that might be the snapshot that someone remembers of you. And you're like, well, actually that was a moment that I was having that I've since learned from. And would I do that again? Maybe, maybe not like what, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, we're, we're all just learning and learning our lessons, um, (laughs) sometimes in harder ways than others. And I mean, I know one thing you and I have been calling in is just like let's just learn our lessons through pleasure and mm-hmm. play and uh what else uh, pleasure play sensuality sexual liberation mm-hmm. like i don't mm. i don't want any hard lessons yeah and like the 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 it's not that it's going to be easy right but that it's not going to be with suffering I don't want violent lessons. Violent, le- yeah, like, you know, yeah. My Thanks, lesson- I've got enough of those. Right, like let my lessons be gentle and and you know informative and yeah. Let me like see it before it needs to be like and before I need to be dragged through the mud. Like let me recognize the <laughs> yes. lesson so I can just like address it before it comes back around stronger yeah it's like attending to a you know a tiny fire before it becomes something that's completely out of control and really tending to that first spark yeah and in being proactive about it and and in that there you know and this is what the next episode of the show is about pain and pleasure and it talks mm-hmm. about this the prayer that you and i spoke out in the hot tub at your house hot tub in prayers. september yeah we've been calling this the like the cauldron intention soup <laughs> it's intention soup and we sit under this amazing oak tree and you know under the beautiful night sky in this little cauldron that is oh surrounded by mountains in the hot tub and work through so much i mean this has been the place in in uh, lockdown that we've worked through so many things we've called in so many prayers and and just really spoken aloud what it is that we want to cultivate for ourselves and our and our relationships and our relationship to self and our careers mm. like there's been so much that's happened in that hot tub and that is where we spoke that prayer in September which I don't think it was new for it wasn't new for me but I don't think it was new for you either but we really just like I, I can remember the feeling of being like wow this is the first time that I can feel all parts of me 
fully aligned to this. Do you remember the words of that prayer? What it was? Yeah, it was, I, I choose to learn my lessons through pleasure, okay. not pain mm. and through sexual liberation. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's so much, I mean, there's so much more in that because that's a whole realm. Like Morgan's going to come on. We're going to do yes. lots. My best friend, Morgan King is a professional dom and they are gonna give us some lessons serious lessons. daddy take me to school oh like my god they are full of wisdom and uh, definitely listen to that episode to those hasn't even been there's gonna be many hasn't even been recorded yet and i'm like listen yes gonna be rich. <laughs> we're gonna do it we're gonna do a few we're gonna talk about masturbation we're gonna talk about platonic intimacy mm. we're gonna talk about sex work there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot but there's so much in that realm of sexual liberation. Mm. Oof, there's so much there. But that prayer, so just to wrap this up, yeah. that was that, you know, I have a whole episode about that. And that, for everyone who's listening, that prayer, when I talk about like, I spoke this prayer aloud, Darren was there, was bearing there. witness, speaking the prayer. We were in the hot tub at Darren's house. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all synthesizing here. And yeah. in that, there's just an immense amount of personal responsibility. Right. And that is the thing that I feel so excited about in this season of life. It's like we've also jokingly said that we're going to start a church someday called the Church of Choice. Yes. And that was, I don't know, last summer, maybe? Maybe, but it was basically, you know, with the, from this place of, gosh, there's always choice. There's always choice. In every moment, there's always choice. And um, yeah, that's a very liberating realization to have. Yes. Yes. Sometimes the choices suck. We <laughs> need to, you know, make sure that we're all working together to make sure the choices are better for everyone all the time, but Yeah. But yeah, there is, is always choice. There's always choice. Even if the the only choice that is at our disposal is how we relate to our experiences. Right. Right. Even if it's not circumstantial of like what's physically happening, mm. but how we're experiencing what's physically happening. And I can definitely, you know, I'll certainly speak more and more into that. Choice is a topic that's just going to be a common theme on the show. We're going to keep circling mm. back to it. But that feels like a nice place to start with just this kind of core essence of perspective yeah. in life of yeah. like where I'm rooted, also where you're rooted as like, um, you know, an in intimate member of my community. And there's so much information in my relationships mm. that informs how I'm going to show up on this show, mm -hmm. right? That's like we're, as a community here, focused on cultivating personal responsibility and continually remembering and turning towards our sense of choice, our, yeah. our the choice that is inherent in being. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's get into these questions. Okay, cool. <laughs> Um, there's so many good ones. I'm just going to sort of pick one to start and see if I can, um, like, uh, just navigate around all of them. Um, so let's start with, let's see, how did you find yourself on this path and what seeds were planted over time? Okay. Let's that's a big one. That's a big one. That's a big beefy one to start with. I like it. Okay. Well, I feel first let's, I wish, I wish that whoever asked this question, I wish you could be in the room because I would love to understand what you're defining as this path. Mm. Um, that's, 
vague to me. So I'm just going to share how I interpret that. Yeah. This patent. Oh man, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> I'm, I feel very curious about how I'm perceived. Mm. Like what is the path that people are perceiving me on? Right, right, right. Right. And that's a good question. Well, for- so yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you can, can you define that? Because I think you might have a better perspective than I do uh, on what, what path am I on right now from the outside? Well, that's interesting. Cause you know, I, I, I know you on Instagram, but yeah. we all, I know you better in real life yeah. and Insta, I don't, I'm like in and out of Instagram myself. So, um, same, I would say the, I mean, I think, I think some of the ways people see you showing up is working creatively, working, um, identifying as a queer person and, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, working through trauma and understanding your own trauma mm-hmm. and how that's affected your life and how you've used creativity to heal um, certain aspects of yourself that you, that maybe have been damaged mm. given your your lived experience. Oh, that's I mean, great. Does that feel accurate? Yeah, yeah. No, it's great to hear because where I would have taken it was very different. What would you have said? Well, I just was like a little hung up on my career. Oh. Which is why I was like, well, what, you know, I just heard your path and I just took that as like my career path. Yeah. And that's why I wanted some external perspective on that because maybe that's not it. And that feels a lot more interesting mm. to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, w- I would prefer to answer that okay. answer than that. where my brain was going. Sorry if the person. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I mean, that's it's great it's open to interpretation here yeah okay so well through that lens creatively experiencing life Mm -hmm. and tending to my pain through creativity Mm -hmm. which is also my work well that's what i I mean (laughs) it's all synthesizing i I feel like they're kind of the same they're the the, the same or at least overlapping venn diagrams they're overlapping venn diagrams right all of me does not show up in my work anymore yeah (laughs) i had to learn that lesson the hard way (laughs) pain pleasure not pain pleasure not pain um okay so I, i mean this really starts really young for me and and uh it's complex so growing up and I do just want to give a little trigger warning here. I'm going to talk about my childhood sexual abuse. So um, if that is not something you have capacity for, just scooch forward in the episode a bit. Um, I started to experience sexual abuse when I was two-ish. I was very young and um, my mother knew the signs for other reasons that are not my stories to tell. Um, And so she immediately sought help and there's a there's a lot of complexity here because it was ha- my my mother and my father were divorced they were separated they separated when i was 6 months and my father was abusive to her physically emotionally mentally like very very abusive and um so you know there's a foundation of trauma in that relationship right they're separated my father I only saw him on the weekends, so it was sporadic, and it was every other weekend. It wasn't the super consistent experience, um, and it was, you know, a court-ordered mandate that we go every other weekend. And so my mother knew that there was abuse happening there, and and I'm not going to go further into that because there, you know, there's a level of storytelling that is not for the public. Yeah. Um, there's 
a lot that unfolded that made it clear to my mom something was happening. Mm -hmm. And she was connecting dots, but she didn't have any information. She's also dealing with somebody who was abusive to her. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she considered a lot of things. She actually considered putting us into the witness protection program. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, that like, she was a single mother to two kids. And this was the mid 90s. So this isn't a time when, you know. Early 90s. Yeah. yeah. It was like 93. So people weren't necessarily as resourced as they might be now about like, these are the signs of abuse. Here's like a you know, number to call or here's a group to help you through this process. Yeah. I mean, rape kits didn't even, weren't even a thing then. Like, and my mom had already been through a process previously. Mm -hmm. And again, that's not my story to tell, but like she already had a lens of how to like navigate this situation. Um, And she couldn't just remove us from my father's care. She couldn't just refuse that we went because then we would get taken from her care and put into his custody full time. Mm. So she was balancing all like these big decisions, right? But what I think is so brilliant that my mother did in that situation is she got me help. Mm. She didn't know how to take me out of that situation safely mm-hmm. because the options at that time, like it was like I would have needed to go like basically like speak in a courtroom Mm -hmm. about what was happening. And I wasn't even commute. I mean, I was two. Right. It wasn't even communicating that to my mother. Right. You know, and so uh, she was reading the signs of what was going on. But even to this day, courts are very tricky to navigate. Yeah. With childhood sexual trauma. So she got me help and put me into art therapy, which was a government funded program. You know, she was a single mother. We were we were really poor and so that wasn't something that was financially very accessible she got me into this program that was funded through whatever i mean i don't even really know how it was funded but it was free to us and so i got to go to art therapy from the time of like very shortly after this trauma started in my life Mm. and then i was also put in dance at that same time okay so i had these two outlets now i was dancing and i was in art therapy simultaneously Mm. as I was experiencing this very violent trauma, which lasted many years, as did my access to this space of art therapy and dance. I mean, dance continued on until I fractured my back. And and then that was um, that part of my life needed to change. Mm -hmm. But uh, these threads of processing trauma creatively, Mm. it's just been hardwired in me. You know, it, it started before I had a concept of trauma. Mm. It started before I even really understood how the world worked, right? So I think it's it's very natural for me to navigate life in this way mm-hmm. because it's what I've always done, you know, at a time when I was learning how to exist, <laughs> you yeah. know, like in the structures of our society and the world. I I learned at a young age, bad things happen, painful things happen, violent things happen. And also, I, I'm creative and I have a voice mm-hmm. and it's scary and hard to use that voice, but I also can draw my voice and mm-hmm. I, can, I can dance my voice. And there are other ways that I can communicate what I'm feeling that are not articulating with words. Interesting. That's... Yeah. Especially interesting given what your 
were just writing about recently um, and sharing with me about your relationship to language yeah. and how you don't, I mean, it makes sense that it's hard for a really young, young person to uh, kind of give you the definition of a word with more words. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But even as adults, it's like, I don't know why we expect ourselves to be able to do that. And unless we're really studious and, and interested in words themselves, but for people who have learned to express themselves through these other mediums it feels natural that that's that would be the way that you would um kind of make those connections yeah yeah and it's also fascinating and we were talking about this just yesterday how um trauma has affected my brain chemistry mm. and i'm i'm dealing with the consequences of that right now i'm i'm working with the consequences of that like working to actually address it and and help my brain build the bridges that it never had a chance to build when I was a child. But in that, there were other different pathways that were created in yeah. my brain, right? And so this connection is actually really fascinating to me because I can see the ways that having these parallel experiences, this was a common theme throughout my life, this kind of these parallel lives of like extreme darkness and extreme brightness uh, and and the like the parallel of that has been there's been space between it throughout my life and at this stage I'm just learning how to synthesize and connect these two realities and mm. merge them and integrate them mm. but in the pathways of of the positive things I experienced as a child I think it developed a very unique uh structure in my brain that's allowed me to relate to the world in ways that I wasn't flat out taught. It was just my life experiences were like, oh, I can put these pieces together in this way and I don't need somebody to tell me how to do that because if they try to tell me how to do that, I'm actually not gonna understand it. I just, mm. I've, I've figured out my own way through most of my life and that's been hard. That's been a really hard thing to feel like I was always building my own path. And that's not, you know, that's a story. Yeah. We can contextualize that of like, there, I also had help and like there's there's more complexity to that that I can understand as an adult. But as a child, it felt like I have to do this on my own because mm -hmm. the way that people are trying to tell me to do a thing doesn't make any sense to me. And it's not going to get me, it's not going to help me get to where I want to go. This is, I'm, I'm noticing this other question kind of, uh, mm. staring at me right now yes. as you're talking about this. So this person asked, how are you so dang multifaceted, multifaceted <laughs> and creative whilst also healing trauma? Ooh. How are you clear in your offer as a multifaceted creative being? That's so cool. I love that question. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that this this answers that too. Is yeah. like, I didn't really have another option. It was it was the pattern that was created as I was trying to survive really horrific things in my life, mm. and create some sense of identity. You know, right? So it also that. it also feels like your creativity is the process of is part of the process of healing your trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think the way that I, I'll just take you into my little visual universe about this. It, 
what I have felt like throughout my life. And I, and I actually used and I can remember in high school writing about this and in, um, my like early twenties writing about it as well. This feeling of being in a, a raging sea that's really stormy and just clinging to a buoy. And that buoy is my creativity. And that raging sea has been the circumstances of my life. And now I'm starting to feel like the storm is clearing and oh, look, there's a boat and oh, look, there's some land and oh, look, there are options. But for most of my life, it's felt like I've been in this raging sea and creativity is the thing that has kept me alive. Wow. So there, that's, you know, it's, it's essential to me. It's how I, it's not just an identity. It's not just this thing I do. It's how I learn to function in the world. Mm. It's like a fundamental part of the way that I experience this reality. Can you give a specific example? So say, let's say something is triggering for you and sends you sort of down a trauma spiral. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you do in that kind of situation? Do I mean, I guess my relationship to creativity, um, and I feel this feels like something I want to heal a little bit, but like, it feels like effortful. Mm. It feels like there, I have to like work up some sort of level of energy to be able to be creative. So in those moments when you're spiraling, uh-huh. how, like how does, where does that move into, okay, I'm going to be creative or is it something that's not even thought about in that way? Like, can you just paint yeah. a little picture of what, oh, I love of like this. that scenario? I love this question. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> I, creativity feels really different to me. It doesn't feel like a thing that I do. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, uh, there are moments when I'm like, oh, I have to put thought into this, mm-hmm. right? But also like, let's define creativity. For me, everything in life is creative. Like walking from my front door to my car is creative mm. because I am a part of creation and I am in motion. Mm. And so I am doing something, I am creating. <laughs> And so like every movement of my body, every word that I speak, every thought that I have, all of it is creativity being expressed through me. And so I find a lot of liberation in that too, that creativity is not just sitting down with pens and pencils and paints or dancing or knitting or weaving or whatever medium it is. It's creativity to me is relationship. Mm. It's relating to the self, it's relating to the world, to the planet, to each other. It's a language, it's a way we communicate to each other. And um, for me, I I understand through that language. I would call creativity my first language mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than like English. Mm-hmm. So creativity for me is not a thing that I feel like I have to do. It's not a place, It's not. it's not separate from me, it is me. And so when I'm, when I'm spiraling, um, it's, it's about like, so that is the lens that's informing my experience in all moments. And if I'm in a moment when I'm triggered, I have through great effort been able now to get to a place where I can notice, breathe, pause, give myself that space, that padding, which is so important. And, and I'm not always perfect with that. Sometimes I react 
But I'm getting a lot better, especially in this last year of my life. I've been exponentially, quantumly (laughs) moving through these lessons. Um, And so in that gap, I just ask myself, what do I need right now? Mm. And so it's really, it's about the relationship. But for me, the relationship is my creativity. Mm. Inherently, the way that I relate to myself is a function of my creativity. So when I ask myself, what do I need? That's an act of my creativity. And then when I answer that question, that's also an act of my creativity. Mm. So sometimes the answer to that is, I need to go to sleep. And I go to sleep. How is that? my creativity. Well, there's a whole realm of creative expression that I have already laid out in my world. The color story of my bedroom, the objects I surround myself with, the intention that has gone into the way that I curate my life. Mm. I see that as a work of art. So when I step into my bed, I I am feeling that experience. And I talk a little bit more about this in the episode on living a sensual life, like living through the senses. And there's there is something for me that feels very creative about the way that I interact with my world. Hmm. So just even like touching and noticing the fabric of my bedding or the lighting that I choose to set up in the room Hmm. or like the incense that I choose to burn. It's not so much just the action, it's the perspective, it's the lens and the way that I relate to this idea of creativity. I like that. So it's it's like you're an artist with infinite medium. Infinite mediums. Yes, exactly. Like I I just, and I view all of us in that way, in fact. And I think like, what limits us from owning that is our own stories about what creativity is right. and our own ideas about what it means to be an artist. Yeah. I, I think artists are listening and responding in the moment. Mm. I think artists are present to what's happening inside of them, in the world around them. And and that's not totally universal because there are people who do creative work who do it mechanically Mm, right mm -hmm. maybe they identify using that artist title but they're not necessarily in that relationship Mm. and i just think that's a function of our conditioning collectively because the artistry is inherent in all of us right i i i feel like what i'm hearing goes back to what you're talking about and the church of choice um (laughs) which is that every choice we make is a creative act yes so like you know, whether you're an artist picking up a paintbrush and putting a stroke in one place or, you know, choosing to turn down your bed as you're brushing your teeth yes, so that you have the experience of seeing that when you return to your bed, like these choices that we're constantly making, if we can be more intentional about about making our choices mm-hmm. rather than just making them from this unconscious sort of like habitual way that we do yes exactly um that that is sort of your version of bringing creativity into every moment yes yeah and there's a tie in here of beauty too which i'm i'm going to do an episode on beauty and beauty not as a function of capitalism but beauty as a lens yes of viewing the world through and consciously choosing to 
bring beauty in around me, not as a not as a, a show for other people, but as a reminder for me. Mm. So, and I mean, you know, you you experience my home, so I think you can also speak to this, like getting it's to beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but I like I love I love organization. I love a very certain you know range of colors, and that's pretty obvious in my world. Mm-hmm. And I love textures and. And so for me, making those choices and bringing the beauty in around me is a way that I create a feedback loop Mm. with myself. So when I'm in those moments where my capacity, and this comes up a lot, just dealing with chronic illness and really understanding my capacity through this lens of disability now, Mm. um, I don't always have the option of picking up a paintbrush. And I wish I did. There's a lot of visual work that I have stirring in me mm. that I I hope I get the opportunity to make in my life. Yeah. But I don't know if that's going to be possible just given what my body is going through right now. I don't know when that's going to be possible. So I've yet again been pushed into this place where I have to consider very minute mundane moments of my day as an expression of my creativity because otherwise like I would just be spiraling in a very dark depression yeah you know and so bringing beauty in around me gives me the opportunity to sink into the pleasure of the moment the the sensuality of the moment and I define this in the episode on sensuality that for me sensuality is living life through the senses Mm. And that inherently requires presence. Mm. And when I'm doing that, when I'm in that relationship with the world around me and my body within the world, I feel the flow of creativity. I feel the torrent of energy that feels like creativity to me, Mm. which I mean, some people might call that source, God, the great mystery, like whatever, however you relate to that. To me, it's all the same. I I don't have any distinguishing lines there. Like source energy is creativity. Like, and so I can feel the torrent of that. Yeah. And so, you know, I could say a creative act is also a prayer, Mm. right? Like it's all the same for me. It's just different language, but it's the same energy and the same function. It's all bringing me into the present moment and into my body to meet my needs so I can be more capable of functioning within the power of my personal responsibility Mm. and creating something that leaves an impact, a positive impact on this planet. Mm. Oh, (laughs) I just love you. I just love you. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about, um, you know, your love of color, certain <sighs> colors right now. Yeah. Um, someone asked, uh, how did your interest in color theory begin? Oh, how did it begin? Wow, that is, you know, I don't even remember that question when I was writing them down. That's great. How did it begin? I don't know. I don't know. Because we were just having this moment on the drive back to my house here where Darren and I were looking at um, like phone, the like bubble, translucent bubble phones from the 90s and like thinking back on these these objects from our youth. The cordless home phone. The cordless home phone. That was like VTech. 
Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Mine was blue. Viana's was orange. Yeah. And so there was, there was this, like, it was different then. Like, the saturation was different. And, um, but there was always, I, not always, because I did have periods where I went through, like, cool phases mm-hmm. of color. Cool tones. Cool tones, yeah. Um, <laughs> cool phases. <laughs> that was so cool. <laughs> um. I, there is this like common language in my life of color. Like I've always been drawn to color. Well, wasn't there a moment when someone s- like synthesized for you that? Yeah. What's yes. The, tell yes. that story. Okay, Remind great. Because I'm like, where did it start? I have no idea. It's yeah. just, I think it like started at this kind of early point of creativity sure. coming into my life and, you know, all of that. But when it started to become part of my work. Yeah. Was... I think Daily was around a year old, maybe. Um, so 2018, somewhere like late 2018. And I was talking to one of my friends and mentors, Heather. Hi, Heather. I hope you're listening. <laughs> um, also, you don't have to listen. That's fine, too. But I know you listen to podcasts. <laughs> so I was talking to Heather and I was, um, I was just like, I was grappling with what the fuck I was doing with my life. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just like, uh, I don't like, I don't know. And then I was saying how I had put out a question to my Instagram community and asked them like, what's your favorite thing about being here? Mm-hmm. Cause I thought, Oh, like, let me get a lens on myself from the outside. You know, what do you, why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> right. What draws you Again, here? Like, what do I do? What tell do I me do? What I do. Can you tell me what I do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Help. I don't know what I do. <laughs> I'm doing it, but I don't even know what it is. <laughs> you only know in retrospect. Exactly. And so it was like fascinating to me that, I mean, like out of the hundred or so people that responded, at least half of the responses were color with wow. an exclamation point. Wow. And I was like, whoa, that's fascinating to me. Really color. Like, and and what I was doing, you know, I'm using air quotes here, was before Delu, before I gave birth to Delu, I was running a school of energy medicine. That was a year-long program that I developed, like all this content and coursework for, and um, I was teaching that. And then I closed the school. I gave my, I built the business to give me an extended maternity leave. So I um, gave myself or parental leave. Mm-hmm. I'm just really, I don't know. Maternity leave is fine. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> so I gave myself three years of leave. Um, and then I had planned to like return to teaching at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got sick. I almost died and everything got squiggly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm just now starting to return. So what I was doing then was just really following my curiosity, which, mm. hello, projector archetype. Yep. <laughs> hello. For anyone who uh, follows human design, Darren oh. and I are fascinatingly, like, so similar. We're both oh, man. two, four projectors. Yeah, we have a, a similar profile. We're opportun- opportunist hermits. Yes. Which oh, just man. sums up. When I heard that, I was like, <laughs> well, that is... Yep. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's definitely it. I'm going to go hide in my uh, in my shell yeah. and then uh well, that opportunity is interesting. Yeah, I'll peek out for that. Yeah, such such little hermit crabs yes. just looking for a good dinner. <laughs> <laughs> it's like our spirit animal. Oh. 
<laughs> not not that language, but yes. You're right. <laughs> and oh. an energy we can align to. <laughs> oh man, there's so many things that are baked in. Yeah. Yeah, they slip out. Yeah. They slip out. But we're catching them. My apologies for anyone that is offended by that. Sorry. Yes, and well, let's contextualize that for anyone who doesn't okay. understand. I, I was using the language of spirit animal, which is absolute uh, appropriation. Yes, of indigenous culture. Yes. Yeah. But this is how we work through it. And what a great like opportunity to show that in real time of just like, oh, there's the catch. Right. Okay. Noticing. Going to work that out. Yes. Like it still happens because we're conditioned in this supremacy culture and that is real like i I think this is i'm just going to take a little tangent for a minute because i think it's valuable here this idea that we can't fuck up or we can't slip up is just trash yeah i mean we're all in severe trouble if that's the case we're all in severe trouble like we're and we're not going to grow yeah because that's how we learn yeah that's how we learn as humans yeah. And I see it, you know, how, being a parent with every every fumble, there's greater awareness. Oh, OK, now I can catch myself sooner. Right. I'm, I see it in my child learning how to do something. Mm. That's how we build resilience and understanding and awareness. That's how we actually change a pattern is by interfacing with the failure. Right. And it being acknowledged of like, oh, I did the thing. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. And I know that like also just with my pronouns that that's a big experience for me that's for me like above of above everything it's effort yeah effort is most important to me just speaking within my own intersection of marginalization now it's like I don't expect people to be perfect I don't want that like don't learn your lessons against my humanity you know and there's a line there right so it's like let's just imagine that somebody and was sitting in the room who is indigenous and then you just went into this whole spiel about like how difficult it is for you to integrate and then it's like all right that's you know that's where we cross the line yeah it's like if we just say whoa i'm sorry that was that was a mistake i'm i apologize i am committed to doing better yeah and recognizing that so much of you know these moments where you have certain things like that that slip out or even just you know when i use your incorrect pronouns which i certainly do i'm sure Mm -hmm. um without meaning to um just realizing that habits are hard, are hard to break and they're hard to they take effort as they you're saying effort, to yeah. to create new habits and we sh- just in the same way we wouldn't beat ourselves up about like any other sort of habit that we're trying to cultivate it's like oh okay the the first thing that you do when you're trying to um when you like fall off the bandwagon of a habit you're trying to create is to get back on the wagon <laughs> you know yeah, it's yeah. not like you're like well fuck it. I'm not just, I'm just going to give up now. I'm just going to lay in the road, run yeah. over me. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, anyway, thank you. Yeah. Thank and you I'm, all who are listening for your gracious understanding. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I process. mean, thank you. Thank you for bringing that to the room today. Cause I feel like there's probably going to be a lot of, um, relief yeah. for a lot of people oh. in hearing it's, it's a conversation we're certainly going to have more of. And also one that like, I will very likely interface within myself. Like I'm going to be sitting here talking to y'all for hours and hours and hours. The likelihood that I'm going to mess up is pretty high. Mm. And, but, but in that, like, it's not just about avoiding these moments of mistake and, and harm. 
It's how we respond to them, Mm. right? So right now in my understanding, what is most important is taking responsibility for our actions and knowing how to make an impactful apology, Mm. right? Those are the things, if we can learn those skills, we can meet any mistake that we're gonna make in life in whatever realm that it presents itself with so much grace Mm. and ease and these things that can become raging fires can actually be attended to and put out before they can grow. Right. And I, there's a guest I would love to have. I have not reached out yet, but Mia Mingus, I took a transformative justice workshop with Mia Mingus, I don't know, maybe six or eight months ago. And it was utilizing transformative justice to uh, apologize, how, how to make an impactful apology. Mm. And it was life-changing. Yeah. And it was one of those skills where I was like, holy shit, there is actually a formula, one, uh, and two, I never learned this skill. Man, can we just, we should spend an episode where you just make a list of all the things that we would have benefited from learning. Oh my our, God, there's so in many. Our, in our early childhood or, you know, can you imagine? early education. Can you imagine? How to apologize. How to apologize. If I that's mean, just something you you like really learned in the way that Mia teaches it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I just can't imagine now I get the opportunity to model that for Delu Mm. and I'm just constantly working to apologize for them and show them how to make an impactful apology. But I would love to have um, Mia Mingus on the show and actually go through some of this and, and, you know, get into some of it because it's just so impactful. And also everyone can go check, um, Mia Mingus on Instagram. I think maybe Mia underscore Mingus. I'm not quite sure. But there are workshops that are happening pretty consistently. So you can check that out if you are curious. And hopefully, maybe um, we'll do an episode in the future together. That would be very cool. Heck yes. Okay. So um, speaking of Daylu. Daylu. <laughs> Daylu. Auntie Dylan. Um, This person asks, is parenting the foundation you operate from or just a part of who you are? Oh, yeah. It's definitely not the foundation. <laughs> no, <laughs> that no, no, no. gives anyone else a little permission to feel like a complete person. Yeah. Of their <sighs> children. Exactly. Exactly. Like, if Delu was the foundation that I was operating from, I would be setting myself up for harm. Mm. Like, they're an autonomous being. They're their own being in the world. I was a a doorway, (laughs) you know? It's like, how could I claim ownership over them or how could I claim identity over them? Mm. If I was identifying myself through them, how does that give them room to identify their own self? Right. How do you think that's, okay, so this is, I hope it's okay I'm sharing this. This week you're, stop you're you're stopping breastfeeding yeah and Mm, you know you were sharing that you know for the last three years since they were born you they've you know you have been connected like literally through your body yeah to this other person and (laughs) so is there any part of uh part of that question that hits in that space where it's like are is are you taking another step back in yeah. your identification with with them. Yeah, certainly. What does that mean for you? Yeah, that's that's really that's interesting because I haven't been thinking about it through that lens. 
um, my relationship to nursing has been more of this identification within myself of like, here's how, here's how I'm identifying me as this like milking person there. It's like, I just feel like a, I'm a superhero, yeah. <laughs> like real life magic is happening where I'm going to eat a strawberry and turn it into milk mm. and like feed another human. That's, That's magic. It's pretty wacky. It's <laughs> so wild. Amazing. It's so wild. And so, um, you know, and not that that diminishes the magic that I am capable of, but the, it's almost this, uh, this like physical manifestation of the magic and this constant reminder of like, I am amazing. And not just me, but like, I mean, all of us are amazing. But here I have this physical reminder happening, this, you know, this process that's going on in my body that's just a mirror that I get to interface with regularly. Mm. Um, so that's interesting that that's shifting um, in that regard. But in terms of the way that I, I, the way that I've experienced this has not, it hasn't been me identifying through my role with Delu. I've actually done a lot to not identify myself through that role. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm a parent. It's a part of my reality. And I, and in many moments, I fucking love it. And then there are moments when I don't fucking love it. That's also true. Um, but my child, obviously, the love for my child does not fluctuate with my relationship to the role of parent. Ooh, that's a good distinction to make. Yeah, that's, that's huge. It's like I am relating to... To, to multiple things here. I'm relating to my child and I'm relating to this role. And so the role I have contention with sometimes. Mm. I, I There's friction there. But with my child, I I mean, I love this being. And, and they're, they're fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, obviously I, I have some bias here. Yeah. Because I can attest. They're my kid. They're amazing. But they're amazing. They're like, it's, it's genuinely an honor and a joy to get to like experience the way that they are experiencing the world and just to see the world through their their lens and watch them navigate being human uh and and really from start to end yeah. whatever end will be whether it's my end or their end or whatever like the end is to get to witness this whole uh story unfold um is fascinating and so when as we've shared a body you know when they were in my body and when we were nursing and had this connection i've always looked at it as just this absolutely fascinating part of the human condition this part of the human experience that's like i just i just made a human i made a human inside of my human body i can remember being pregnant and like ordering coffee at beacon our local coffee shop and just you know knowing like all the all the baristas there and and having relationships with them and so standing there and being like huge and pregnant and being asked like how are you doing and i'm just like i make it's wild i am making a human inside of my human body and like i wouldn't even know how to answer how are you doing because i was just like i am in awe like <laughs> this is so wild and weird and fascinating and amazing and Talk about creativity. Talk about creativity. Hello. Whoa. And and it was a lot of other things too. You know, the, that's the paradox of this reality. It's always there. Like two seemingly contradictory experiences simultaneously coexisting in, in truth. This world. I, I, I keep... <laughs> this has happened because I've recorded a few episodes of the show. I just reach these moments where I'm like, oh, paradox. Mm -hmm. Like... I'm saying all these things and then like, oh yeah, what we're leading to here is just paradox. Right. 
that's been my relationship to Delu. It's like, it's the yes and. Mm. It's this like, oh my God, we shared a body. You were in my body. And then I kept your body alive, but not through the lens of identification, more through the lens of awe. Yeah, and relationship. And relationship of just like, you're your whole, you're your own person. Like from the moment they were conceived, um, they were, that that was, I could feel them. I actually have a sense of the next question. Okay. Let's go to pronouns. I know there was something about when I yeah, came yeah, yeah. out. So um, the that question connects. is, uh, at what age, phase of life? Did you come out as non-binary and what prompted it? Yes. Okay, great. That was exactly the tie-in here. So when I was pregnant, I was about, I don't know, I was like six or seven weeks pregnant. It was very early on. Mm -hmm. And I was meditating one day and I, I mean, I could like feel and see Delu, which we didn't have a name for them yet. Um, but this being, this booming voice came over me and was like, do not identify my gender. Wow. And I was like, oh, uh, okay. Um, how, you know, cause now like f- four years later, there's a lot of conversation happening mm-hmm. and there's like a whole term now of like babies that, oh, that, wow. that wasn't a thing. When this conversation, four years ago, that was not a thing. I haven't even heard that yet. There you go. (laughs) And there's a lot more people now starting to hold uh, a a liberated space for their children from the time that they're conceived. But at that time, I didn't have any understanding of how to do that from birth. Mm. I I knew gender nonconforming, non-binary people, but I didn't have a sense of how to like what is the conversation like or how do i how do i carve this path you know it just it kind of felt like standing at like a like a, a the edge of a mountain and being like there's no path and you have to figure out how to get up there and like i could look up and be like oh there's some other paths up there but how do i get to them mm. so there was this like there was this gap of like okay well as they get older i could see all these different options but what does it look like from like in, yeah. in the womb. Yeah. And so I fell down this rabbit hole of what content was available then. And there was a lot um, coming out of Scandinavia, mm-hmm. Finland and Sweden and um, hearing various educators there talking about holding uh, space for a neutral uh, experience and also just playing with gender in childhood. Mm. So not just having this liberated language and liberated ideas about how children can be fluid and identify in various ways, but also just like playing with ideas of masculinity and femininity and like really kind of bending what they view as masculine and feminine, Mm. Um, which is really cool. Like I remember even watching this video that was about um, superhero coloring pages and it was like Batman and Superman in dresses. And so it was just, you know, yeah. So it was just like really kind of like these subtle things, but giving children a lot of ways to interface with that. Yeah. Um, and so I started to learn and then I started to, you know, I was writing a lot and, you know, journaling a lot, coming to understand how to have that conversation. And then I was stumbling through that conversation a lot through my pregnancy. And 
it was a great opportunity for me to start to interface with the conversation around using they, them pronouns mm. and starting to have those conversations in this way that felt very safe for me, that I was almost like shielding myself through this lens of like, well, I'm talking about my baby. I'm not talking about me. Mm. And so it was a safe way that I, I felt like I was kind of tiptoeing into the water. And I... I came out somewhere around halfway through my pregnancy and I came out and was like, she, they, mm. because I was not ready to be fully they. I wasn't, I was scared to have those conversations with people. I was scared to assert that for myself. And, and also I was scared of being rejected. Of yeah. course, like that's, that was a very present part of that experience for me. And, um, I, so I just was dipping my toe out and then it was this kind of nice lead in. But what's really interesting is that Delu actually was a large part of my coming out experience wow. because one, I was pregnant and I was in this very like heteronormative presenting relationship and marriage. And, um, and it was like, oh, you're, you know, just like cute little mama and like, and and there was just started to be this like deeper grinding that was happening in me. And I was like, oh, something is not adding up for me mm. in this experience. And I didn't even really like I, it's always been there, mm. but it wasn't always obvious to me until I was suddenly like this kind of archetype of mother right. as I was stepping into that archetype um, that I really started to feel like no, 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 you're missing who I am here. Mm. I'm missing who I am here. I, I'm not, I'm not being honest about who I am. Um, and, and, and in that there's also, okay. So one of the like mini episodes of the show is a poem I wrote about my experience of gender, mm. which I shared with yeah, you recently. Yeah. And so I encourage anyone hearing this part in the show to go and listen to that. It's called, doesn't it hurt? And that really, will contextualize how I experience gender, I think in a way that will make this, it will just give a little bit more depth here. Mm. But Delu was a huge part of that experience for me. So just to tie back to what I was saying about like the identification with them, they've always been autonomous to me. Mm. And in fact, they were teaching me from the time that they were like six weeks wow. past conception. Like I was learning so much from them already. And I recently found I had a podcast before I got pregnant and I did one episode when I was pregnant in my last trimester and in it I was talking about my experience of relating to Delu while I was pregnant with them and I kept coming back to this language of them being a teacher mm. and my experience of that is you know as they're they're um you know alive and in the world now not not just like, oh, my child is my greatest teacher. You know, it's like, eh. I, like, I wouldn't even put them in that category. I wouldn't say that they're my greatest teacher. Mm -hmm. um, but they're just this like, they're almost like this wise elder. I thought you were going to say wild. Wild. <laughs> they are wild, but maybe that's three, you know. Wise, wild elder. Wise, wild elder. But they do just have this like, there's there's something very peaceful about the way that I learn with them. I, I feel like maybe they're the embodiment for me of the learning my lessons through pleasure, not pain. Mm. And that's not to say that it's not difficult, but 
I don't feel like I grind against my lessons in parenting in in the ways that I expected to. Uh. Um, it's more the conditions of the role, but not the relationship with them. Gotcha. And so, yeah, they they were a huge part of my coming out. That's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Was there a first part of that question that I didn't answer? Um, the question was, at what age or phase of life did you come out as non-binary and what prompted it? But there's another question, too, that says, how did you navigate coming out to yourself oh, that's so as non-binary cool. queer? That's really cool. I like that. Um, well, I will say I was 26 when I came out. When I started coming out, it's an ongoing process. I mean, you kind of like come out every day, like depending on, I mean, not so much these days because I'm not interfacing with right. lots of people. You're like, but, am I coming out today or am I staying in? Am I going to hermit today? <laughs> Hermiting most days, but that's just conditions of our current reality. Right. But usually like it's anytime I meet a new person, I have to come out again. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not like a one and done situation. Um, but I was 26 when I started that process. Mm. And in terms of coming out to myself. Yeah, the interesting part of this question, whoever phrased it, um, how did you navigate coming out to yourself? It's so beautiful. Was there, uh, there was obviously some level of like. Permission. Be, permission. Or yeah. was this something that you weren't able to like something that was alive for you, but you didn't weren't able to put your finger on what it was yeah I, all of that it was um I mean when I look back through my whole life it's always been there mm. but I didn't have language for it so it's like this interesting thing where um we can experience something I actually talk about this through the lens of chronic illness in the episode on living a sensual life how we can be experiencing something every day we can even be in pain from that experience every day but if we're not acknowledging it it's like it isn't real mm. and it becomes this background static noise of the our experience of the world we normalize it and it's then like, almost pretend it doesn't exist it's just part of the fabric of reality right and then once it's acknowledged then our relationship to that thing can change mm. and so that's been my experience with this chronic illness that i'm navigating right now the moment that i actually acknowledged how much pain i was in my relationship to it started to change and I started to orient myself towards liberation yeah. instead of suffering, instead of suffering quietly at the hands of this thing that I was pretending wasn't real. It was just building the pressure and, and it just grows louder and louder and louder and becomes more and more and more chaotic. And then it, 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 it it's like the image that I have is just a, a wild animal running around my house and just trying to pretend that it doesn't exist, mm. but it's wreaking havoc and damaging things. But I'm just like cleaning them up like, oh, this is fine. This is normal. Right. So do you <laughs> um, feel comfortable sharing with listeners what that moment was for you where you yeah. were like, this is a thing? Yeah. So it was, I mean, it's so interesting because Instagram was a part of it for me. Oh, huh. Yeah. Um, so there's more context here of like, I didn't think that I deserved to take up space in the queer community because I'm very femme presenting. Mm -hmm. 
And I, and I like that. I just, I like the shapes and the textures and the colors and there, there's more options to me in the realm of femme clothing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love jewelry and I love adornment and I love beauty. Right. And so I just love like, and I'm also like short and, and kind of more masculine shapes don't really work for how my body is structured Mm -hmm. and I just love like I love beautiful things I love embodying beauty and so there's there's something about working with the shape of my body that I feel more um is more accessible through femme clothing Mm -hmm. and uh in that I felt like well I look cis so I don't deserve to be anything other than that that was a story I was telling myself subconsciously, mm-hmm. quietly, and without even o- the awareness of it. And then I saw somebody on Instagram. And I literally couldn't even tell you who this person is. It was like they popped up at my Explore page. I saw their profile once and I never saw them again. I have no idea who they were. Mystery liberator. Mystery liberator. I wish I knew who you were. What were they like? They had dark brown hair. They kind of like actually had very similar features to me mm-hmm. and they were very femme presenting mm-hmm. and they like like down to like manicure, makeup, like even I would say even more on the femme spectrum than I am. Mm-hmm. And they were just like they them. Those are my pronouns. And I was like, oh, you can do that. And and I was like, so um, I was liberated by that. Oh my God, I didn't even know that I could take up space. And then it was slow. It was just like, I've, I'm, I am imagining playing with like a tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of folded paper that's like folded so tightly and you just have to like open it very gently as to not rip it. Mm. Like that was the experience. I'm just like one tiny little opening at a time, moving kind of slowly as to not damage this thing that I have no idea what it's going to be when I get it open. Mm-hmm. And then thankfully, I also, you know, Morgan, my my bestie who's been in my life since I was 17, um, they're also queer and non-binary and, um, and femme presenting, mm-hmm. which is funny because like they existed in my world. But for some reason, it was they also have like dad energy, <laughs> like yeah. you know, and they and they can well, oscillate. But, yeah. yeah. Being <laughs> you know? a dom, they have more of this like masculine yeah. energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it's funny because they're they they can be very femme presenting. But my relationship to them is very different than like the way that people might just see them on the street, sure. you know. Um, and so I. I talked to Morgan early on and I can remember talking to them um, being like very early in my pregnancy and um, like talking to them on the phone. We had just moved to Ojai and I was missing the Bay so much. We moved from San Francisco and I remember just kind of being like, oh, I just feel so isolated here. And like, I don't really know where like my community is. And I'm used to like engaging in just like a grittier conversation about privilege and access and like things that I'm not interfacing with here. And I, I was just really grappling with that. And then I, and then I started to like open up this little paper towards Morgan and, and they're just like the perfect person to have in my corner for that experience. Cause they were just like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like that's so valid and you deserve to take up space and your experience is your experience and it's welcomed. And, you know, it was just like exactly the voice that I needed to hear to be able to believe that for myself. Like I could, 
just as easily say those words to somebody else, but believing it for myself was the disconnect. I I was so scared that somebody was going to call me out Mm. and be like, you're not queer. And then, you know, I had to work through that and working through that was coming to the understanding that, and we have more language also culturally now, Mm -hmm. even just four years later, there's so much more conversation about this that, yeah, it, it it has no impact on who you are like or how people perceive you has no impact on who you actually are yeah. other people's experience of you is their experience right it's not your experience and it doesn't fucking matter at the end of the day truly truly and like we we might get a little confused in that dynamic but the reality is nobody understands what my experience of gender is like I can do my best to translate it and to share that. But at the end of the day, I experience it internally. Yeah. And also translate it if you want to. There's also no obligation for you to explain yourself to people. Completely. If you don't feel like it. Yeah. And that's been a very liberating thing, too, to just be like, well, this is who I am. And uh, and (laughs) and if you don't like it, I really don't care. But I also am going to protect my space. Like every now and then I'll have some super transphobic trash pop up on my Instagram page. Mm-hmm. And I just I just block it. I just don't even engage. Yeah. I'm, I'm not here to defend my humanity or like if you have a pro- if you have a problem understanding that I could exist, uh, that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. <laughs> <laughs> I exist. I'm a human. It's not up for debate. Thank you, next. (laughs) I feel like this sort of filters into this question I'm seeing that says, how do you foster emotional resilience? Mm. With great effort. (laughs) (laughs) With great effort. Wait, there's a a second part to that question? There's a second part. They say, how do you foster emotional resilience or psychological homeostasis yes okay i remember this question because i remember when i was writing it down i laughed out loud and actually said i love that you assume i have psychological homeostasis all right let's talk about that (laughs) what that is a that is a that is a perception yeah not based in reality not based in my reality clear this up real quick yes not stable not (laughs) not stable nope not my experience of life Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I I love that. I mean, I love that language too, psychological homeostasis. I was like, oh, that's delicious. I sounds yummy. That sounds so good. I wanna I wanna like eat at that buffet all day. (laughs) Like park me there. How do I get there? Um yeah, I I just like I really like I I had a great chuckle being like, oh my god, I love that you perceive me that way, but that's not. Well, maybe they don't, and maybe they're just edging you towards how do you foster it, Viana? Maybe you should foster it. Maybe you should Oh, I love that. I like I like imagining that that that, that was just trying to guide you. Like, um, Viana, uh, I think you might want to work towards this. I see some things happening here. Reflect on this question. Reflect on this. Um, um yeah. Emotional. Emo, what was it? The phrasing. Emotional um, resilience. Emotional resilience or psychological homeostasis. Yeah, I'm just like. In in I could go off on a whole. I mean, I could have a whole episode on that, and m- maybe I will. Maybe that would be fun. Okay. Maybe you want to come back and we can have a conversation about it. But just to distill it, I yeah. would say I foster emotional resilience through personal responsibility. Ooh, Ooh I've seen that in action. <laughs> yeah. Truly. <laughs> and the homeostasis bit, I'm working towards. It's complex. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna read through a 
few more of these questions. Yeah, I love it. Um, Let's go. How about uh, who are your people? However you define that, friends, ancestors, flora, fauna. Mm. Who your people? Okay, well, you better say me. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I mean, no. What? Just name a bunch of people and leave me out. I'd be so pissed. Like, it's so funny because where my brain started wasn't even with people. <laughs> oh, nice. What did it say? What came to mind first? Mushrooms. I, I knew you were going to say yeah. that. <laughs> Mushrooms, ochre. Mm. Like, the, my, and that's, uh. that feels first. Um, yeah, my ancestors, like, uh, just like a few names that come to mind. One of my great-great-grandmothers, my paternal great-great-grandmother, Pascualina Puma. She's been with me in in a visual form long before I knew her name. As a child, I used to have these big, these two big black cats that I knew were pumas as a kid. Like I just, I was obsessed with big cats when I was a kid, which was like, I mean, my mother has like shared with me multiple times that like, I just knew like all these facts about big cats. And like, it was, you know, when kids get into that, like hyper-focused, for me, it was big cats. Um, And so I just always felt like I had these like gargoyle, pumas with me Mm. and then I learned I've been doing like ancestral digging for like the past 10 years and just trying to grow my understanding of who my ancestors are and learn their names and as much as I can about them uh, which has been complicated but I remember when I first learned her name I it just the head to toe chills of just like it's been you oh oh. it's been you all along that's really spooky and like in the best way yeah it was it was magical it was so beautiful so pasqualina puma she's with me often and then my grandmother was named after her this was my grandmother's grandmother um my grandmother was named lina and it was from Mm. pasqualina um so pasqualina is with me and then my zio angelo my uncle angelo he's been with me also since i was a really young child he died before i was born he jumped in front of a bullet to save his best friend. I know you know that story already. That's, um, that's heavy. Yeah. You told he, me a cool story about him that you were, well, about the spirit of him. Yeah. That you remembered yesterday. Oh, yeah. Well, the the one for me being like Deilu's age? Uh, when you were on the stairs. Oh, I'm not ready for that one. Okay. I want to save that for another time. <laughs> that one's a little too out of the closet for me. <laughs> Hot tub only. Hot tub only. Oops. I just, I just leaked the hot tub info. We'll just plant seeds. But yeah, I, when I was like Deilu's age, I used to look at his photo and say like, oh, I remember him. I used to play with him. And he's always been with me. Like he would, he would, we've been in conversation throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, those two ancestors and my grandmother, Lena, she's with me also often. Um, and then even further back, like I can feel my like ancient, ancient ancestors working with minerals, like ancient, I feel the Island, like the, my ancestral Island feels like my people, Mm -hmm. the, the volcano, like on the Island, I connect to that, um, so deeply and, and the mineral reserve on that Island and the water and the, um, it's interesting because Ojai actually mirrors my, one of my ancestral villages. And in like in population size and in obviously we don't have as big of mountains on the island, but it is this kind of little valley and um, it's got very mirrored vegetation. 
Oh, okay. So I, I feel like I'm in this little portal here in Ojai to my ancestors. And so like interfacing with um, lemon trees and bourgainvillea and all the different cacti growing here, it's like there's a communication mm. to my ancestors. So those are all people, my people in the non-human form. And there's more certainly, but but that um, that feels really resonant. That's what's top of mind. And then my my people in terms of my people, like I keep a really tight circle. Um, I, I, you know, it's like you and Morgan are, are like my closest people and mm-hmm. I have like a next layer and, but overall it's, it's tight. Um, yeah. Why, why is that? I really hold relationships in high regard and I know that I don't have a lot of energy to give, especially in this season of life. And I have a big community. I mean, there are so many people who I love so deeply and I, and I show that love when I have capacity in various ways, like food is a big one. Like I love early on in lockdown, I would just like go and buy groceries in bulk and go deliver packages to all of our friends, like our wider communities, mm-hmm. houses, like not all of them, obviously that would be, it would be a lot for me. <laughs> I, yeah. as I keep a, I have like a large circle of people who I adore and love and and feel, um, you know, even can feel this like deep love and deep connection to, mm-hmm. but I don't have the reserve to maintain all of those relationships with the depth and level of integrity that I choose to bring to my relationships. So in terms of who, you know, I, you know, I have this visual of, of friends and it's in relationships in general where I, I view it as this kind of shire like, village <laughs> mm-hmm. and there's this little kind of hobbit house that's my house mm-hmm. and i inhabit the house and and there are people who live in the house with me they're like the ride or die they're always you know gonna be around or at least that's how it feels that mm-hmm. may change which is fine that has changed in the last year and in certain ways but um there are people who like can live in the house and i can coexist with them mm-hmm. and it and it's lovely. There are people who come and visit. There are people who can come for extended visits, but then they still eventually have to leave. Yeah. Then there are people who are like only going to come to the front yard or only going to come to the fence. And then as I start to get further and further away, right, there's the my street, there's the neighborhood, there's the village itself. And as I start to get further and further away from my house, uh, I start to lose access to the fluidity and ease of communication Mm -hmm. it gets harder to communicate with people the further out i go because we speak different languages Mm -hmm. we have different relationships to life and that just that's kind of how it feels it's like thinking of this metaphorical friend village yeah as I get further out from my house, like I still enjoy the people I see and can wave and nod, but like we can't go super deep because we don't speak the same language. So we're only going to be able to communicate a certain amount. And and then sometimes there are people who will like come visit from villages way far away and they can come in my house and we can hang out and have these amazing conversations, but they still have to go home. Right. You know, they, they have to go back to their their intimate space and like, you know, there's distance between us, whether that's physical distance or just like responsibilities that keep us apart from each other. 
Um, so there are people who I could see like, oh, it would be amazing to welcome you in closer. But um, because of the circumstances of our lives and where we're living and how we're living, that's not possible. But so we get to have these deep moments and it's beautiful and intimate. But then ultimately, like who stays close to me? It's very, very small. Yeah. And sort of circumstantial in a on a certain in a certain level. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um. Here's a good question. How do you embody not looking for advice, quote, <laughs> especially with loved ones? Mm, that's great. Um, well, I want to con- give context to that phrase that came out when I was pregnant. And the amount of unsolicited advice I was receiving in my DMs was literally making me want to throw up. I mean, I was super nauseous from being pregnant. So that was a part of it probably. (laughs) But I would just get these messages where I would just retch, like physically retch. I'd be like, oh, I hate this so much. And I was like, oh, okay. Like what's the boundary that needs to be set? So I came up with this phrase, not looking for advice. And I used it as a hashtag and I used it in my stories. And I just kept, anytime I would say something, I would be like, I'm not looking for advice. I would just lead with it. And if somebody then would respond with advice, I would just ignore it and be like, I already set my boundary. I don't need to keep reiterating it. Like, listen or don't. I don't like, you know, at this point, you're just wasting your own energy. Let my silence be a communication to you. It is, right? Because silence is a boundary unto itself. So uh, I just that's where that phrase came from. And it's been this cornerstone and touch point for me. Um, and I love it so much. It's such a great one. And it's also a great reminder for me because I do slip into it sometimes. Uh, <laughs> shifty eyes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, cause it's also like the way we've been conditioned. Yeah. So that conditioning is still there and I have to meet that edge of failure. Like we were saying, like I have to bump into the pattern to be able to move past it. Um, But it's a great touch point. And what it comes down to, as with many other things, is personal responsibility. Mm. It's not only fostering and attending to my own skills around how I am able to live from a place of personal responsibility. It's also a fundamental belief that every other person I'm relating to is capable of attending to their own sense of personal responsibility. Mm. And so it... And this gets deeper into codependency and like deeper into our cultural patternings about how we're taught to be in relationships versus what is actually healthy and generative. Mm. Those things are often in conflict. Like we're we're really not taught how to be in healthy relationships. Uh, And that starts with the self, right? That's just not a cultural norm yet. Right. Uh, We're seeing more of it now, but that's not how we were raised. Yeah. You know, so what do you do when someone comes at you with unsolicited advice in real time in in person? Let's say. yeah, okay. So um, a few things. It depends on what it is and what the situation is. Um, I would say the first thing I do is manage my response. Hmm. So if somebody's coming with a whole thing and I'm getting flooded, then my first response is, I need a minute. Or, you know, I, I need I need I need some space from this. And that's new. That's new that I'm actually starting to articulate that because um, that's a function of trauma is to like move fast. Mm. And I would often just be like, oh, I'm going to get into process with you right now. Mm. And I'm understanding more and more the value of just being like, I need a minute to digest this. Yeah. And um, once I can get myself to a more regulated state, 
than just letting it be known. Like, I hear that you really care about me and that you're, you're wanting to support me. This doesn't feel supportive for me. What I would prefer is if you could ask me if there's something I need from you. And then also beyond that, like here's the next layer of personal responsibility is I can be more forward facing when I'm sharing and saying like, if I'm sharing something, I can end it with, I just want to be heard right now. Hmm. I don't want advice right now. I don't want feedback. I can lead with that information on the front side. Uh, and then I don't need to do cleanup work. And maybe sometimes I do, right? Like sometimes I could say like, I just, I just want to be heard right now. And maybe somebody doesn't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, but I've been in this process now for about a decade. And I would say that a lot of the people in my life, like I'm not interfacing with so much of that these days anymore. Even in my stickiest relationships, there has, uh, there is an expanded capacity now. Like even with my mother, it's kind of amazing to see um, we, because we've been in this dialogue now for 10 years, we've been working at this mm. and me and, and stumbling and falling and getting hurt through the process. Um, but now we're at a point where I can, I can say like, uh, this doesn't feel good for me. Mm. Like what else can we do? Yeah. You know, and there can, and I can meet it with curiosity. And I think that curiosity, um, curiosity seems to build bridges where defensiveness breaks them down. Mm. Right. Yeah. So and that's where I, the self-regulation piece comes in. I have to I have to attend to my own flooding first so that I have the capacity to be curious mm. so that I have the capacity to relate to the person and not just defend myself or judge that person. James Olivia and my teachers who I'm working with right now, they will be on the show soon. Um, they say you cannot judge a person and relate to a person at the same time. Ooh. Isn't that so good? That's really great. So good. So good. Been ringing in my head all week. You can't judge a person and relate to them at the same time. So if I'm judging somebody for giving me unsolicited advice, I've chosen to stop relating to them. Mm. And now at this moment in my life, I want to choose to relate to them instead. Yeah. So church of choice. Church of choice. <laughs> personal responsibility. Power and personal responsibility. It's all about our competence. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> And that, and then that requires us to attend to the skills of relationship. Yeah, which, you know, there's a lot to, that's a whole world. A whole I'll world. save that for the James Olivia show. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully there will be many with James Olivia. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the work you're doing. Okay. Um, what's your intention with your work? <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Um, you you know this well, <laughs> being in my world. I'm going to start with the visions that I've had since I was a young child. Okay. Like since I was, I don't know, six or seven, I've always seen myself talking to large rooms of people. Mm. And I mean, I used to do like monologue competitions when I was in junior high and um, public speaking through high school and, and my short stint in university before I dropped out. I, I've put a lot of energy into learning how to speak well mm -hmm. in front of an audience because I've always seen myself talking to people um, since I was a young child. So that's certainly like a cornerstone. And I haven't always known how that would manifest mm -hmm. but I always knew that it was a part of what I was doing and language fascinates me and communication fascinates me and um, it, it feels kind of part of my architecture 
I'm just yeah. like, these are things that bring me great joy and I could do them all day easily. Um, clearly. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we are, we are experiencing the results of that yeah. right now. <laughs> um, but beyond that, a few years ago, I got a, sometime in the last 10 years, I got this, this image, this vision of my career being a bridge. Mm. And, um, it was very, it was a very liberating image because it reminded me that the I in the equation is pretty irrelevant. Hmm. Um, in, in that, like, if you imagine a bridge, um, people don't really care about the bridge. They're just excited that the, the bridge is there because it's useful hmm. to get from this point to this point to get over an obstacle that would otherwise be impassable. Hmm. Right. They're just like, cool. Like, here's an easy pathway for me to cross this this chasm whatever that is mm. and uh that's how i view my work um that's how i would that's how i'm working to view my work since i received this vision it's been this kind of constant chewing and and slow digestion of how do i actually bring this into form and what does that actually mean especially because my voice feels like such a part of my work and my story is so entwined in it and mm. where's the dividing line um, and it, and what I'm coming to these days is understanding that it's it's really the way I hold it that like I I could tell you all these stories about my life, but like I don't really care about these stories of my life. They're just like they're just things that happen. And I could, depending on where I am in my life, I could rewrite those stories a thousands of different ways. Mm. You know, I could tell the story of my trauma through that, through the lens of a victim. I could tell it through the lens of a survivor. I could tell it through the lens of somebody who's thriving as a result of it. Like there's a thousand different things I could tell you about that experience. Um, and so that doesn't really matter. Mm. You know, the story, I'm just using the story as a vehicle these okay. days. I'm starting to understand how to do that. Um, in ways I don't know if I can fully articulate yet. Yeah. Um, but I see my career as a bridge in a lot of different ways. It's both um, what I'm focused on is helping foster easeful forward motion for people. I, I would like my work to be this uh, part of the path that allows people to easily cross something that would otherwise be very difficult. Oh, that's so – well <laughs> – Using that metaphor, too, it's like, I mean, when you started talking about bridges, you were like, you know, no one really cares about the bridge. And I, like, I just had flashes of like all the beautiful bridges that people have like <laughs> taken pictures of, like oh, the Golden Gate yeah, Bridge, right. like, the, you know, and I'm like, bridges are utilitarian, but they're also like beautiful works of art in and of themselves. That can, and they can be both, you know, they can be both. You know what I was picturing? I was picturing like this little wooden bridge in like the middle of the woods, like nah, over. Bitch. You're the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious! I love it's, this. Is what's so amazing about having somebody else in the room, and especially having you in the room because you know me so well, and I also just love the way your brain works. <laughs> I feel like the the kinds of chasms that you're helping people cross are not like little streams, you know, <laughs> they're like pretty big deals. Thank you. Trauma, gender, yeah, identity, creativity. It's so funny because like, as you say all of those things back to me, I'm like, blah, blah, blah. I just like, <laughs> 
I feel all of this like almost repulsion and like, ah, I don't, I don't want to help you with specific things. I just, if I could just help you get to you, mm. that's, that's it. Like, well, I don't. That's a beautiful intention. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, it's like you don't maybe necessarily want to be as identified with these, with these aspects of your history that you've utilized to understand yourself. Like everyone has their own history that they have to draw from to understand themselves. And it might have some commonalities with yours or it might be totally different. Like, yeah, you know, you and I have much different histories. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it doesn't really matter. That's where like we give meaning to the story. We give whatever meaning we choose to give to it. Yeah. And so, you know, how how do we work towards this ties into pleasure and pain and suffering? It's like how do we orient ourselves towards that autonomous choice that is inherent in every moment so that we can be fostering a sense of power through our personal responsibility so that we are constantly turning back towards the experience in the moment mm. that is informed by this complex web of life. But it's n- that complex web is not something that we're clinging to. Mm. That we can soften into the moment and be like, yes, this is here and this is here and all this nuance is here and all this complexity is here and all of these things that are informing the way that I get to be here. And also, can I just be here? And yeah. can being here be joyful? Yeah. Can it be pleasurable? Can it be fun? That's the the joy of the senses, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and there's there's one other thing in that too that I want to touch on in that um, part of this bridge building for me is really about the way that I interact with capitalism. Mm. And this is a piece that I'm still coming into awareness around because I haven't really been able to work these past few years because of the state my body's been in. Mm. Um, but I, this really foundational element of the way that I view my work is um, my work being a vehicle for wealth redistribution. Mm. And I feel in my body what I magnetize for me is not just for me, that I am just the bridge. Mm. And I'm just connecting, like I'm going to funnel money from here and I'm going to move it over here. Mm. And like some of it is going to land for me because I'm still a person existing in this capitalist society. Uh, but I, I don't have much interest in holding wealth. Mm. I, I like the opportunity. I like the idea of the opportunity to create stability yeah. for myself and my child. And beyond that, I, I don't need to have like <laughs> all this money. I would rather invest that into the community mm. because at the core what I feel like my work is here for what I feel I'm here on this planet for why I chose to come here is to be in service to liberation Mm. and money is a vehicle for liberation in this reality like it's an energy right It, it it has as much meaning as we give to it but collectively we have given it great meaning sure so I I want to magnetize a lot of that to me and funnel it back to the community and and give the resource to many, many people so that they can step into their creative expression 
in life mm. because mo- like money, if we can create stability in our lives, if we can check the boxes of the things that need to get done, then we have the space, the capacity to be in relationship to our creativity in this more down-regulated way. Yeah. And that's where people, more and more people are gonna start to have the opportunity to wake up to what it is that they came here to do. Right. And so money for me is just this like great resource that I wanna like, it's like rain. I wanna like spread it out over yeah. all the land and nourish all the soil. Yeah. So that's a big part of what I what comes into that bridge metaphor as well is like redistributing wealth mm. through whatever I magnetize towards me. But I, I have felt for a long time in my life, again, since I was a small child, that I would I would bring in a lot of money. And so now I'm now I'm I'm sitting with, well, is that true? I don't know if my body's gonna be capable of doing that, or I'm sitting with curiously with how. Yeah. How do I do that in yeah. a way that actually is sustainable for me? Well, I don't have answers to that. My sense is that it will be a long journey, you know. Hmm. I always have felt like in my mid forties there'll be some fruiting of the seeds I'm planting now. Yeah. Well, you certainly have a lot of value to offer. Thanks. Um, I heard you say that you haven't worked in the last three years. And this question says, how did you or do you manage to work while being in postpartum? (laughs) So clearly you're not being perceived as someone who doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And that we talk about this a lot, too, just like people perceive me as doing all these things and I don't see it in myself. And I think that's just because of how I feel most of the time. And just my body doesn't, I just don't have this get up that I used to have. And I I feel like I just need to rest all the time. And so I feel, I think I see the, the distance between what I want to be doing and what I have the capacity to do. But mm-hmm. people just see the things that I'm doing. They don't have the point of reference of like, well, here's the thing that I am actually want to be working on. People right. don't see that behind the scenes uh, conversation that's happening in my own self. Um, well, let's just look at the things that you are doing. I mean, you're putting out content. You're, you've created this Patreon community. You're doing a yeah. podcast now. Like how did you managed to do that while parenting and, um, you know, being in a, a pretty prolonged postpartum yeah. uh, situation. My acute postpartum was survival. Yeah, I definitely you know, want to give that disclaimer. <laughs> there is actually a question that I don't know if you want to address this, but um, someone was curious what what happened that caused you to almost die after giving birth? Oh yeah, great. I can address it shortly now and I'm definitely going to have more episodes on this because it's such a pivotal moment in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really know what happened uh, and we still don't really know what's going on. There's a lot of unanswered questions. There's more questions than answers in in this whole experience for me. Um. But the facts of what happened is I gave birth at home four days after my fever started to spike. We thought it was related to my milk coming in four days after that. I was yo-yoing in those days. And then on the fourth day after I started a fever, so this was eight days postpartum, Mm -hmm. I had a fever of 105 and a half Fahrenheit. Jeez Louise. Yeah. And I was in and out of consciousness. And, um, you know, I have 
I had an amazing midwife who's been a midwife for like 40 years, just incredible source of knowledge and wisdom. And uh, she was like, you, you need to go to the hospital right now. And she called and like got things arranged. And I also had a lactation consultant at that time. So I had this team working together to get me to the hospital. And then once I got there, they, the first thing that the, excuse me, the first thing that the doctor told me was we're worried about heart failure. Oh, geez. And I was just like, I don't understand. And, you know, my fever was 105 and a half. So my brain was cooking. Oh. Um, you know, it was just like, and, and this is a thing. So many doctors were coming up to me and they were like, you're really sick. We don't know what's wrong. Your fever is really high. It's not good for your brain. And it's a thing that I'm really living in the in the wake of right now. What happened to my brain in that time? We're trying to figure that out and attend to it. Um, but the thing that we came to is I had a septic blood infection. Hmm. And that essentially is like a is like a line when a, an infection enters the bloodstream and permeates the body. Um, and it, and it can be fatal like quite quickly. Yeah. Um, and so there were many blood transfusions and lots of med. I don't even know, honestly, I don't even know all the things that happened cause I was so in and out of consciousness Yeah. and also had like an eight day old infant and you oh know, just God. all these things. It was complex and there's a lot, um, I'll talk more about it in the future, but that's kind of the gist of it. I had a septic blood infection. We have no idea what caused it. There are theories, but not answers. And um, so I was in the hospital for a few days and then I was released just to bring it back to this other question about postpartum. And I still had an infection in my body for six weeks after I still had an infection. And, and every day in postpartum, I was waking up and I wasn't able to articulate this then, but mm-hmm. I can see it now, the amount of fear that I was living with every day where I was like, am I going to die today? Oh, God. Is this just going to like kick up and I'm going to be back in the hospital and I'm going to die? Like for six weeks, every day I woke up with just this like weight on my shoulders of like, today's going to be the day. And, um, and there, and there was so much, like I was, I was living loosely as a human in that time. Um, I was very apathetic about this physical reality towards this physical reality. I just didn't really care because I was holding very loosely to my body mm-hmm. and I was really just kind of entering to, to tend to Delu. Um, and I didn't have a lot of energy to tend to them. It was hard to hold them. You know, I was nursing them and it was so fucking brutal in those early days. Again, I will go into that into in another episode, but it was excruciating and so hard. And, um, but I was committed to like, cause I also, I was like, well, I'm not going to be here very long. So I'm just going to keep showing up to this and I'm going to do as much as I can for this little human while I'm here. Cause like, I felt like I was going to die. Yeah. It at sounds any like moment. you were pretty convinced that that was your, your inevitable situation. Yeah. yeah and I, I actually went into birth feeling that too. Ooh. Yeah. That's I scary. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it was that's emotional. a reality for all mothers giving birth is, I, I would imagine, I don't have children myself, but you could just, suddenly it hits you that like, this is, you know, it could be like people die doing this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any, any person giving birth is, um, entering that portal yeah. between life and death. Um, and there's, there's so much 
there. There's so much there. So anyways, back to this question, because this is a whole big tangent I could run on. Yeah. How did you manage to work while you were? I didn't. Yeah. I did not. (laughs) I sat on the couch trying to live. Um, And I had structured my life in support of that. When I was pregnant, I devoted so much energy to postpartum, to like preparing for postpartum. And I just like, I had the sense that I was not going to be alive. And if I was, that I was going to need immense help. So I had just padded my reality um, as best as I could. And and yeah, we'll talk more about that in the future. But um, I designed, like I said, my business to give me three years of maternity leave. One of those years I took, I started to take that during my pregnancy. So that ended in 2019, in the summer of 2019. So I had money coming in from that business and I had money coming in from that business up until uh, summer of 2019. Mm-hmm. So I had given myself, you know, I had, I had built that into my business. I intentionally took a lot less each year so that I could take a little bit um, for a longer period of time mm. in, in my pay. Um, That's a boss move. Yeah, yeah. That's so inspiring to me. Thanks. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was just like keeping a reserve and yeah, just making that choice to pay myself less um, while I was doing all this work Mm. um, so that I was kind of tucking away pay for for the future. They call that saving. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, surely savings, that was... It was also like some some students were on payment plans, so oh, some okay. of it wasn't even in my – it wasn't like liquid in my account. It was still coming in from them. Got it. Um, so when I started to get back to work, I've been trying. I've been trying to get back to work for – I mean, essentially from like three months postpartum, I've been trying to get back to work. I don't have an answer for that. I'm mm. still trying. Mm. And it's different because it's not just about parenting. It's like my body living with a disability and parenting and being in a pandemic mm. and getting divorced and all of these things that are layered and nuanced. And um, I don't know. I see you journal a lot. Oh, thank you. I yeah. What like- do you see? How do I do it? <laughs> Please tell me. I have no idea. Well, I mean, this is even in your human design too, which is interesting. It's like mm. your authority, is it authority? Yeah. Your authority is to, uh, is, I think it's called like self reflected or self-defined or something. Oh. I have to look that up. Yeah. But it's basically that you, you learn through processing your, your own story. Oh. Like you learn these really big lessons through processing <gasps> your own story where, you yeah. know, people like me, we don't think, I don't think about my story that much like I'm just like I'm kind of more just like in the flow of where the river takes me and kind of making decisions as they come and paying attention for invitations and things like that but you really get a lot of impact from sussing out your experiences and I see you do that in conversation and uh in journaling like I mean the amount of journals you have is bonkers (laughs) It really is. It's just and like my level of organization has to manifest itself in all these different journals. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think that might have something to do with it because right That's now it feels like what you're putting out and what people might be perceiving as work is really just writing, you yeah. know, that that is maybe uh, 
like you're finding these themes and you're able to work with the puzzle pieces of all these different journaling things that you do. And then, totally. you know, you see how that, like what the common threads are. Yeah. Like Ooh, I have an answer. Okay. As you're talking, this is so great. That's like helping me understand what have I been doing? Yeah. What have you been doing? Slowing down, mm. resting a lot, giving myself permission to follow my inspiration. Mm. But in that, I have to move slow enough to notice when I feel inspired and I have to be listening to catch the inspiration, right? So like following the inspiration isn't just moving with that energy. There's also a prerequisite to be able to notice when I'm inspired. Wow. So it's really not like you're going into any particular work situation with an end goal in mind yeah you're just moving through and seeing where your inspiration is and sharing as you go yeah and then also you know kind of resting into what feels like like if we could make this into a metaphor it's like I'm in the river right and I'm letting this the inspiration is the river Mm -hmm. kind of guiding me along a path but I'm also in a boat and right, there's this foundational element that I'm resting in that's giving me the tool to navigate the inspiration. And for me, that is creatively exploring relational wellness. Mm, that's the buoyancy. That's the buoy. That's the buoy. That's the thing that I'm like, oh, this is this is um, this is what it all comes back to. Mm. So whatever lesson I'm learning or whatever thing I'm inspired by, I I bring it into that boat. You know, and I bring it into that experience with me. And then I'm like, oh, how do you fit in here? Right. And do you fit in here? And if not, then it's not really relevant for my work. And I'm using air quotes because I I'm right. still grappling with that word. Yeah. Um, for many complex reasons that really don't have anything to do with what I know I bring to the table or the knowledge I have. It's much more about my capacity to show up to work. Mm. Hmm. So it ha- it's it's just had to be more fluid for me. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's a maybe that's a truth for most birthing parents. Yeah, I mean it's something that I I just would imagine that there might be people listening to this that are recognizing a certain amount of privilege or lug- luxury in that. Yeah. And oh, that Oh yeah. You know, choice that you were able to make to do that and um, Absolutely. I mean, know, it's 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 both. It was a privilege, and it was also uh, trauma. Mm. You know, it was like I was fighting for my life. I didn't really have right. an option, right? And right, then right. and then I was also privileged in that I had support, yeah, and have support, yeah. You know, in this moment to be able to to be with the reality of this disability that I have, yeah. It's both of those things. Wow. I think we have time for one more. Oh, man. There's a bunch left. Should we rapid fire? Okay, rapid fire. Rapid fire. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll see if I can do this. <laughs> okay. I'm going to like count down on my fingers 10 okay. seconds after, ah! after I ask each question. Okay. <laughs> what were your beliefs around romantic relationships <gasps> prior to your divorce? I love this question and I want to give it more time. Okay. Before <laughs> my divorce, I was operating from conditional patterning that was something I learned through society. And now I am learning how to operate through my actual desires. Aye. 
And I want to say so many more things about that. And I will in a future episode because that's a juicy question. Don't cross that one out. Let's just save it. I want to come back to it. Okay. Um, Is there, in the same vein, is there a relationship status you're comfortable being open about? Yes. I am joyfully, delightfully in relationship with myself. I am fucking myself, loving myself, relating to myself, learning about myself, dating myself, all the things with myself. All right. That sounds nice. Um, sounds nice. It's like such a boring word that I used for that incredible statement you made. It's, um, a, it's relentless. That's we're like one. always together. We're always together. There's no space. Uh, all right. Um. Let's uh, let's ask this question. Did your work or and practices evolve fluidly or were there times of and sorry, hold on, let me get this a little closer to my face. (laughs) Did your work and practices evolve fluidly or were there times of feeling lost or just disjointed? Oh, yeah, there were definitely times of feeling lost and disjointed, especially over these last few. I mean, I, I still kind of feel lost and disjointed. I'm that's it's the paradox. Both things are true. I feel really clear and focused and also lost and disjointed. And it's just a constant uh, ping pong b- between those two things. There's that paradox again. There it is. Always. <laughs> OK, this person says curious to learn who you are right now. Can you answer that in 10 seconds? Oh, my gosh. In 10 seconds. Um, I am a student of my life right now Mm. learning growing changing i i feel like i am in the cocoon still in a metamorphosis i don't know what i'm gonna be when i come out of this year this year is big one this is a big one yeah the way i'm attending to my health and all the skills that i'm learning like going into this container for radical relating with dr jen mccabe and learning these skills for relating through difference Mm. while also tending to my brain and like the impact of trauma in my physical body. It's thrilling. I'm, I'm soup right now. And you know, I'm the soup in the cocoon and Mm. you're all going to start to see some form taking shape here. That is so cool. (laughs) Okay. Um, well, this in the same vein, do you feel in tune with who you truly are? If so, how did you get there? Can we take this in two parts? Yeah. Okay. So do you feel in tune with who you truly are? Yes. And the image that I have for that is my physical human body is a harmonica in the pocket of who I truly am. Oh, that's <laughs> such, I love that. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Um, and so how did you get there? <laughs> I, I don't even know where to begin with that yeah that's loaded that's so big um i don't even know how to start answering that in 10 seconds okay that's like oh, just a lot of listening effort to the podcast yes like i guess like <laughs> that's what this whole podcast is about okay cool um what's the well okay um this this is a little like the, another question what's the why behind your work and uh this the and the spaces you're creating what's the why behind your work and the spaces you're creating liberation mm, one word answer you're one gonna word. get at this <laughs> what is your previous training <laughs> what are you hoping to bring from that that's a that's complex 
that's a lot of things. I'm going to try. Okay. We'll work backwards. I ran a school of energy medicine. Uh, I did coaching. I did energy medicine like with clients. I did massage therapy. Um, I was a professional baker for a while. Um, I like nannied and worked with kids. I worked at a tech company for a little bit, which was very weird and out of my scope of knowledge. Um, I was an executive assistant there though. And also did like some health stuff like teaching yoga. Oh yeah. I taught yoga. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, oh my God, I, I feel like my brain is fritzing right now, but I can say like just jumping a lot of years, I started my first business when I was in junior high what was that? <laughs> I This was also before the duct tape thing was a, the duct tape thing. I, I, I don't know. Do you not, not know about? Okay. There was this time period where people were making prom dresses out of duct tape. Oh, yeah. Okay. 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 I remember that. This was like four or five years before that was okay. a thing. So uh, there were not cool colors of duct tape. Uh, gotcha. Okay. Because that, like, that was a moment where duct tape started to come out in all these different colors. Probably because underground artists like you were making <laughs> cool shit for their other 13-year-olds. Like, oh. Yeah. And so at this time, it was just gray duct tape. But I was, um, I would make these strips with the duct tape. I would like double-side them and then I would weave them into bags and wallets. And then I would sell them to my classmates and I did yeah. like custom orders and and all these different things. And so like that was that was kind of a huge part of the way that I started to understand um, money and my relationship to it. I wrote this story that I'm just starting to interface with now um, and really understand it, that I can always create money for myself. Mm. That was a story that I, I wrote for myself at, at a young age. And now I'm interfacing with like, well, fuck, what about if I can't create? Oh, yeah, new set of circumstances. New set of circumstances, yeah. yeah. So anyways, that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot in how it's coming into my work. It's like all of that is informing how I show up today. Oh, I like interned at an art gallery. I did like a lot of art stuff too. Mm. Um, there's a lot I'm missing, but you know. I'm sure it'll come up. It will come up in the show for sure. So the last thing is you had asked people to, um, to share any assumptions that they had about you. And I have any... I, I, you said that they, there weren't that many. Like there was they, one. There was one. <laughs> there was one. People were afraid to make it. I mean, assumptions almost feel like in the same realm as unsolicited advice. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> you yeah. know, where it's just like, let's just like, well, I guess you're inviting it. So it's not unsolicited, but yeah, for some reason, I think that there's a little bit of vulnerability and maybe sharing I think your so. assumption about yeah. somebody. And maybe a different wording for another time could be something like, "What? what's your perception of me? Maybe that's a more impactful word. Yeah. Okay, for so me, they operate in a similar way, right. assumption and, and perception. Like yeah. they feel similar, but maybe perception is more gentle. Okay. So I'm going to read the one that I got. Um, I have to turn my phone off airplane mode here. <laughs> um, okay. And we ended up having a conversation, me and this person. Um, so they said, you can come across as combative and argumentative. Is this the case? And I was like, oh, ooh, fascinating. <laughs> because never in my life have those been words. Or, I mean, I think when I was younger, argumentative might have been a word, but it was through this filter of like, you're really good at debating. Like I always did a lot of like debate stuff when I was younger and I loved communication. So yeah. I was, you know. That was just another edge that I was learning through. Um, but combative was not a word. Mm. I was fierce. I was like 
strong-willed and, and you know, like I took charge and all these things, but combative, that word was not a thing that was, that I, I've never heard it until this moment, somebody say that I come across as competitive, combative. And so I was combative, like, combative, sorry, combat, combative. combative, thank you for fixing okay. that. Okay, cool. My brain, scrambled oh, egg. It's cute though, combative. Combative. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to not do that. I'm just adding an extra syllable. I like it. I like it. I like it. It's like a little in there. <laughs> Com- combative yeah, there you go it's hard it I mean, feels it, flatter right. to me <laughs> i like the little buoyancy i add to it um okay so i i saw that and i was like whoa perception is changing i'm changing i'm fascinated i'm curious Ooh, i'm gonna say that as congruent statements i fascinate i ponder i wonder uh what is informing that? Mm. And so, you know, I was like, that's that's interesting information to me because I, yeah, I'm clear and direct in my communication. Um, and also I really love the opportunity to relate through difference and I'm devoted to learning the skills of that even deeper this year. Mm. You know, like I'm interfacing in multiple places with teachers who are teaching me the skills of relating through difference. So, um, you know, arguing seems fruitless to me. It's a place where I have no interest in putting my energy, but that doesn't always translate on the internet, Mm -hmm. which I think is such a great opportunity for this. So I was thinking about this a little bit and I was like, well, some things that have changed in me are um, I'm moving more and more into this lens of understanding my personal responsibility. And in, mm. and inherently in that is understanding what I'm not responsible for, mm. right? I am not responsible for someone else understanding what I'm saying. That's not my job. I don't have to expend my energy there. Mm. I don't need to help somebody understand what I'm saying. I don't need to overexplain myself so that I know that they're hearing me the way that I intend to be heard. Mm. That's not my responsibility. If I can focus on being clear and direct in my communication, how that's received is out of my hands, really. Mm. Whoever is on the receiving end of that, they're going to choose to relate to those words however they relate to them. And if they want to meet it with defensiveness and and like fight back against it, they can do that. Mm. And I can choose not to engage. Or they could choose to be curious and and relate to me mm-hmm. and we could work towards a place of understanding if we both want that. Right. And there are a lot of situations online where I don't want that because I don't have the energy or capacity for that. Yeah. I certainly, if I don't have it for like people who are in my like next circle out of friends, I definitely don't have it for the acquaintances in the next town over. Right. You know, so that's a thing and i can see it happening now because i'm starting to be more forward with like there are often times when i do not understand what people are saying to me mm. it's like if people are being like overly complex in the way that they communicate i don't understand it's just like it doesn't connect in my brain and so i've been saying that of like i'm not following you i don't understand what you're saying and and people were and i'm saying that and so it's like it's kind of vulnerable for me to be like look i don't understand you like yeah. I f- like I feel my experience is that I feel a little dumb. I don't understand what you're saying. Right. <laughs> you're you're using words that I know and I don't follow this train of thought. Mm. Um I can't keep up. And people will receive that on the internet as me like 
like I've experienced this recently where people are getting like defensive and angry in response to that. I'm like, oh, that's sad for you. Mm. <laughs> like it's not for me because I don't care to engage anymore because I don't have the bandwidth for that. But that seems like a that seems like it would and maybe and that's my judgment of of how there that's my judgment is that it's sad. Like, oh, what a bummer that you just think that me communicating and telling you that I don't understand is me like making fun of you or judging you or I don't know whatever the story might be in there. Well, I think that's a big fear for people is being misunderstood. You know, it's Ooh. pretty, it's, yeah. And yeah. And like, so are these people in your community? Yeah. Like, you know, followers on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. In the community. But what's, what's so interesting about this one, this specific comment, just to bring it back around, this was, these were some of my thoughts about it. So I wrote back to this person and I said, um, thanks for sharing this. It's a new one. And I'm curious about your experience. Do you have any examples that would help me answer more directly. And thanks again. I delight in the opportunity to respond with my voice instead of text. And they said a lot of things and they were talking about like my language, my choice of language and my inflection of tone, which I also actually want to speak into is like, if you hear an edge in my tone of voice, it's because I'm in pain. Mm. <laughs> like I'm in pain every day. And that is certainly going to come out in my tone. Yeah. Um, and that's just the reality of what it is to live with pain, with well, chronic pain. It's so interesting because I feel like Instagram is this, is this platform where it, on one hand, it's like community communication. And on one hand, it's like a space for artists. Like maybe, maybe we should start seeing it as a place for artists to share mm. their work and for you to interface with that work in a, in a slightly more dynamic, you know, um, for lack of a better term, way. Mm -hmm. But as if like it's your sole responsibility to make sure your message is being received by as many people as possible rather than it's just like making, you know, a painting. And then some people are going to love the painting. Some people are not going to get it. Totally. And you're not going to you're not going to. Um, require the artist to explain yeah. their painting to you necessarily, unless that's right. what you're inviting in. Right. And I mean, I think, I mean, this is a bigger conversation about how we interact with social media right. and what, what we're bringing. And, and that's actually what we got to in the space, which I think is so beautiful. So we kept going in this conversation and this person was talking about how like, I, you know, I'm very strong and opinionated and I state my sentiments with passion and and they took responsibility here in saying like how it leads to them feeling afraid to speak mm. up. And then they also spoke into their own struggles. Um, and, then, and then they also made note about that there's something especially um, like scary about when femme people are strong and opinionated. I don't know what this person's gender is, but that was interesting that they made that note. Um, and and that there was some assumption in there of of me like knowing better or or being better than them. And so in the in summation, they like wrapped it up with, so I guess what I'm really saying is I'm projecting. Oh wow. <laughs> and then we got to have a really beautiful conversation, you know, and and you know, I often don't have energy for this, but because there was one response, like yeah. I was like, cool, like I'm this is so interesting to me. So I I'm gonna give it a little bit of energy. Um and you know, so we got to talk about that of how 
you know, we we show up on social media online with our hackles up. And we were talking about conditioning and how, you know, for me, this is this is a part of like in the way that speaking out loud is a form of noncompliance with the rules that society has placed on me as a like femme presenting person Mm -hmm. to like be quiet and be still and like be good and all of those things. And like me being expressive is a form of disobedience, Mm -hmm. right? But then taking that into this next layer of how rules, how how, um, unspoken rules are operating on the internet Mm. we're getting conditioned in another way Mm -hmm. we're being conditioned here um and what i'm seeing is that people are coming with their their hackles up they're coming with defensive defenses up they're coming scared they're coming expecting a fight uh they're expecting to be called out to be dragged to to be canceled to you know whatever it is and instead of uh realizing that we're all humans behind these screens right and so another form of non-compliance or disobedience that i'm really pushing into these days is how do i show up online and and even before this person said this to me this has been a perspective of mine as i've been coming back online in 2021 how do i show up soft open and curious and not open without boundaries but like when I have the capacity to be in engaging with somebody, being open to hearing, to listening, to experiencing, to relating, because um, I want to relate. Mm. I'm I'm really bored with judging. I'm really bored with judgment. I I am attending to the skill of relating now. That's mm. far more interesting to me. And both but those things can't coexist. I can judge you or I can relate to you, and I'm much more interested in relating to you. I don't always have the capacity for that. So that might come across in a certain way. Right, right. You know, but I have no interest in wasting this precious energy that I have in my body on arguing with people on the internet. Yeah. No thanks. No thanks. Oh. It's <laughs> a nice place to end. Well, thank you for letting me um, be a part of your inaugural is this the first episode this is the first episode dang yay wow thanks for being here i'm so grateful thank you and great questions from your community oh my gosh stellar questions y'all sweet thoughtful group of so thoughtful like some of the wording in there was so i know um, i was like some of these questions i read quickly and then i was like oh wait no that's not what it said oh that's a very different question it's so interesting yeah i love it um one question I have for you. Oh, okay. I'm curious if if you want to add any context for listeners about your experience of me or being mm. my friend or being in relationship with me and like what, you know, just thinking this episode is about creating context for people about who the fuck is talking. Ah. <laughs> so what? anything you want to add? Um. Let's see. I feel like... You are someone who is, let me think of how I want to put this. (laughs) You are someone who has, and I I think I may have shared this with you at some point, but I, I, my perception of you is you're someone who has very little shame Mm. 
and um your and for that reason you can be kind of triggering to people (laughs) (laughs) the bitter medicine you know like the way you i mean and obviously i this is my perception probably not your reality but the way that you're um able to show up as fully as as much as yourself as you can in any given moment um when you do have the energy to show up um that can that can really like be um yeah, I guess the word is triggering to witness for people who are struggling with any level of shame or like um, containment or mm. smallness. And um, so in that sense, it's very liberating to to be in a in a relationship with you as opposed to uh, having those moments move into judgment. So just like you're talking about, it's like. There's there's been a you know a couple times where I've wanted to like have a judgment about you, but then I realize when I look at really what is behind that judgment, it's it speaks more to my relationship with myself mm. and the you know the the difference that I see in you relating to yourself. Wow. Um, did that make sense? Yeah, it's really beautiful. I'm just letting it settle into my body. And I do experience shame. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fascinating to me that that's not present in in the ways that I experience it. And that just is like was such a cool reflection of, you know, the 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 space between our internal realities and how we're perceived externally. Yeah. And I think that it, it's maybe part of your creative process of living that you're talk that you've mm. spoken to where it's like, okay, maybe you feel shame, but you still make every choice with a certain intention and you, you have your set of values that really guide the way in which you move through life. Yeah. And that's something I really admire about you. Yeah, um, and something I I've tried to really like hone in for myself is like when you have those those guiding values, it's much easier to continue to make these creative choices, but have some kind of of uh, like track for mm-hmm. them um, that are or some sort of compass for them. Yeah. Maybe is the right metaphor, and um, yeah, I think in a lot of ways you hold that compass for all of us, anyone Mm -hmm. in your community, because it's this, um, this holistic approach to, uh, self-improvement where it's not outside of, um, you know, our, our social organism and our world and our environment and, um, and even cosmic <laughs> stuff. Even cosmic stuff. Wow, that was really beautiful. Thank you so much for reflecting all of that. Sure. And um, I'm going to say this on air, so there's a little bit of 
accountability or oh pressure. God. What is it? Do you want to do Quantum Quarantine as a mini series on the show? Oh, that'd be fun. I'm like, down. Just weave in some episodes of us sitting in conversation talking about our lockdown experience. Oh, yeah. I'm super down. And just weave it in. I love talking to you. I love talking to you, too. This was so fun and we're past two hours, so we should stop. Yeah. We just need to figure out how to do this from the hot tub. For, oh, that would be so cool. Okay. That would be that's, so that's your cool. That's your homework for the week. <laughs> Wait, we should give that homework to Brenda. Okay. <laughs> Brendan is Darren's fiance, who is a musician and um, an artist and creator and just knows a lot more about technology and sound than I do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he's figured that one out yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I actually might have a thing. I might have found a thing. Okay, well, okay. Quantum Quarantine <laughs> might be coming to this show soon as <laughs> a miniseries woven in. That would be so fun. And um, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to all of this. Thank you for your beautiful questions. And thank you, my beloved friend, for just being in my life and, and being a beautiful mirror and a soft, warm space to fall apart in. And oh. It just feels so held in our friendship over this last year. It's been really impactful in my life. And I just love you so fucking much. I love you. <laughs> now it's time for Creatively Relating your opportunity to digest today's episode through a writing exercise. This question came from somebody in the community. I don't know who because I don't have everyone's name still attached to the questions. We wrote them on post-its for the show and Instagram does not save stickers from stories. So whoever asked this question, it is a beautiful question. I was so excited at the opportunity to answer it. And I wanted to bring it back around for everyone to have the opportunity to answer. And if this question came from you, please feel free to call in and let me know. I'd love to know who you are. It's such a beautiful question. Okay. If you have a pen or paper, grab that. You can also grab your phone and type the question in. Who are you right now? Who are you right now? And the question was asked in this way, curious to learn who you are right now. And I feel like those two words really add something to it. Curious to learn who you are right now. I hope you enjoy answering that question. I certainly did. And I'm still thinking about it, which is fun. Music for today's episode was written and recorded by Zena Carlotta and mixed by Brendan James Willing. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>